and I've been wanting to use this title for about a year, so, but uh, it's out of the Message Bible. We'll read that in a moment. We're, we're just entitling this, The Rhythms of Grace. I mean, as we talk about grace around here a lot, and uh, because when we're talking about grace, we're talking about Jesus, because Jesus is grace personified, and uh, I'm encouraged so much by what I see uh, across, you know, the church and, and really across the world as you read and see on the internet and different things that are going on, and I believe that we're in the midst of a, of a great uh, resurgence, I guess we could call it, of grace that has taken place in the church. And uh, I'm just seeing many people get a hold of it, ministers that I, some that I never thought would, some even on an international and, and national uh, platform are now, have turned their message uh, and began preaching, not that they've never preached it, but preaching it in a fresh way, in a fresh revelation of the grace of God. And, and it's being asserted everywhere and it's being cherished by people. And, and many of us in this room that have known God for a long time. We've walked with God for years, but it's like almost recently we've discovered the freedom and the power and the peace uh, that the revelation of God's grace brings into our lives. And so we're just so thankful for that because it, it shows us that God loves us, that he has accepted us, that he has forgiven us. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30, this is the New King James Version, says, Come to me. Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, isn't that a wonderful passage? I used to think growing up in church that that was for people that were tired, that worked hard all week at the factory. It's got nothing to do with a vacation. And I really have heard, you know, a lot of preachers using it, and I guess you could make application of it for that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about all you are tired from working all week. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about all of you who have labored under the heavy load of trying to be acceptable by God by keeping the law. Jesus said, I've come to set you free from that. Now, we're going to put up the Matthew, uh, same verses, but out of the message translation. Uh, this is a, a great paraphrase translation of the Bible that Eugene Peterson uh, has written and it's just there's just tremendous insight that he brings in his paraphrase uh, translation of the Bible this is out of that it says are you tired worn out burned out on religion Jesus says come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Isn't that a good translation? Amen. So that's where the title comes from, and, and I want to... Uh, speak on that this morning by the help of the Holy Spirit. Father, we do love you. We thank you for the grace of God that has transformed and is transforming our very lives. Thank you for what you're doing, not only in this church and in this body, but throughout the world as you're bringing a revolution and a reformation, we believe, of the message of the goodness of God, of the grace of God, of what Jesus really did accomplish through his finished work on the cross of Calvary. We give you praise for that, and everybody says amen, amen. and amen. You may be seated. God bless you. If you're visiting here, we, uh, as has been said, we do appreciate you being here. Sometimes as a pastor, I kind of dread these holidays because I don't know if everybody's going to go to be with their mama. If their mama don't come here, if they're going to be some to come and visit with us. But regardless, we are so glad that you're here. As I said, these verses are not Jesus telling us how to take a vacation or how to take a rest or how to deal with our lives or our jobs, but he's speaking to people that were under the law, who were laboring under the heavy load of trying to be acceptable to God by keeping the law, which was impossible. And then Jesus comes along and he just absolutely blows everyone's mind when he makes this assertion and he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, uh, and he says, when you 
walk with me, you learn from me. He said, you'll find that, that I'll bring rest to your souls, real rest. The, the Sabbath is not a day of the week. It was in the Old Covenant, but Jesus is literally the Sabbath. We enter into him and we find rest. We cease, Hebrews says, from our labors and trying to please God by our performance. The Bible says wonderful things about Jesus. In John chapter 1 and 14, it says that when he came, we beheld the glory of the Father, and it says that he came full of grace and truth. If, if you get tired of hearing about grace, then you're getting tired of hearing about truth because Jesus is the personification of the grace of God and the truth of God. In verse 17 of the same chapter of the book of John, he says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we see the paradox, we see the comparison there. And so Paul uh, is often in the Bible, we think about in a lot of the preaching we do, we, we do from the preaching of the Apostle Paul, where Paul is always looked at, really, I guess you could say, as the key biblical writer about grace. He wrote about grace more than anyone else, and he spoke of, of grace. Uh, but, but listen, Paul, the apostle, really just taught what Jesus actually did. Uh, Paul's letters gives us purpose of grace, but Jesus' life and the things he did actually portrays, a, gives us a portrait of the grace of God. And that's what I want to look at in, in this series. God's grace shines through uniquely in the life of Jesus and what he did in all four of the Gospels. And, and, and whenever you mention the word grace, uh, I, I ran into it yesterday, and I can't go into detail, but I had one of my pastors call me. And uh, uh, even uh, just in the past few days, he's been confronted by the religious spirit. Uh, there, there's really... Uh, nothing meaner uh, that you'll ever encounter. There's not a demon in hell that you'll ever encounter that is more vicious than a person that is operating under the spirit of religion. And when you mention the word grace, immediately two opposing thoughts appear in most people's minds and especially in leaders' minds. Uh, one is that they reject the gospel of grace it's really because they fear losing control of the people. Uh, fear is used to motivate uh, good behavior. And, and they fear that if grace is really taught in its pure, undiluted form, that people will just go to sinning wildly. They'll just sin like crazy. And uh, nothing could be further from the truth of that. And, and, and I guess since bad behavior from people is apparently the thing that is feared most by church leaders, then what happens is even those that preach grace, they end up, you know, emphasizing and saying more about what grace is not than what grace really is. And if they're not careful, they thereby dilute the power of God's grace. Because they, they you know, and why do leaders resist the grace message so badly? Well, one reason, they'll have to throw away most of their sermons they've been preaching for decades. That's true. Uh, no longer will there people buy into sermons like the five steps to righteous living or the ten steps to holy living or three steps to how to become righteous before God or all that kind of stuff. Uh, grace is bad business for religion because it puts religion out of business. Can somebody say amen? amen. And, and so there, there's in these verses there's revealed not only those who reject grace, but even an error in those who supposedly accept the grace of God. Because what happens to some people is they, they, they actually they don't realize it, but they're actually rejecting the grace of God. In other words, the part like in that phrase, Jesus said, walk with me, work with me, uh, walk with me. In other words, grace doesn't make you lazy. Uh, Paul said that I have labored more than you all, but not I, but the grace of God that's within me. So the grace of God will not make you a couch potato spiritually. C come on now. And, and, and so there are some that I've seen that, that try to say, well, I'm following grace, and, and they refuse to pray. Uh, they refuse to give generously. They refuse to come to church with any sense of community. They say we don't have to because we're under the grace of God. Those people, too, have rejected the pure grace of God message. And uh, Jesus used this phrase. I love this phrase in the message translation. He, he asked a question, are you tired? 
Are you worn out, burned out on religion? And uh, the word religion, I remember I grew up as a young boy in the church. Now, don't get mad at me. Uh, you probably will anyway. But, you know, the old, you know, songs like, give me that old-time religion, I mean, you can have it. Okay? I don't want the old-time, no-time, new-time, any-time religion. To say that there is a good form of religion, listen, is to say that there's a good form of slavery. If you can have good religion, then you can have good slavery. Because the word religion in itself is a word in its root meaning. It means to bind or bring into bondage. And that's exactly what the, the, uh, the, the meaning of the word is. And so uh, you say, well, I, I think I remember that it's used in the Bible. It is several times, but never in a good context. So I don't have time to go to the book of James and the other passages where you find the word religion. But, but, but men had religion. They had this form. They had this, this thing that how they try to approach and to appease God. But religion means to bind up. And so it's a form of bondage, really. And uh, the, the, the really root core, listen to me, of religion is a lie. Uh, it, it's a belief that started really in the garden that, that when the serpent said to, to Adam and Eve, if, if you'll do this, if you will eat of this, if you do this thing, then you can be like God. You, in other words, you need to do something to be like God. And the truth was, that was a lie. The truth was they were already like God. They had been made and created in the likeness and the image of God, but Satan lied to them. And, and, and if you're going to lie to somebody in a perfect paradise who, who needs nothing, who has everything, and even God comes every evening in the cool of the evening to walk personally with you, and you don't need anybody, you don't need anything, you lack nothing, the only way that you could make an inroad into those people is you have to lie to them and to convince them that you don't have what you need, that God held back something from you, and that you actually have a lack. And so they bought into that lie, and the church has been buying into that lie ever since. And so we get in the altars, somebody's going to get mad on this one, but you, we cry, more Lord, I just need more of you and less of me. And uh, that, 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 that's part of that lie. Because what you're saying is that God, when he, you were born again, he didn't give you everything you needed. But the Bible says that when you got born again, you received the fullness of God. You, 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 received, you didn't get a half dose of God. You didn't get a thimbleful of God. You didn't get a little bit. But what we do in the church, we pray for the anointing. Where Paul said, you have an anointing. You've already received the anointing. We pray that we, the Lord would give us the mind of Christ. But Paul said, you've got the mind of Christ. It was downloaded into you when you got born again. We have the mind of Christ. We don't pray for the mind of Christ. We pray crazy prayers like, God, please go with us from this place. And God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you all the way to the end of the world. You don't have to pray and ask God to be with you. God will never leave you. God will never turn his back upon you. We pray and we waste time in prayer. And actually, when we believe we lack things, we ask God. You know, I, I go to preach a lot, and I understand. And I used to pray these same prayers. I'm not saying I'm, I mean, I, I've had my season and I used to lay in the floor and beg for the mind of God. I thought because it said we, Paul said we have the mind of God. I thought you had to get a bunch of people together so you could ever even have the mind of God. But that's not true. You've been given the mind of God. You have, you have, how can you, how, if you don't have the mind of God, how could the Bible admonish us not to be double-minded? You can't be double anything unless you got two. So you have a natural mind that is actually an enemy against the spiritual things of God. And you've been given the mind of Christ, but you have to decide which computer you're going to pull from the hard drive from. But you have it. Don't say you don't have it. But if you don't believe you have it, you'll waste it. See, when I, I was in, raised in Pentecost, we would have double portion prayer lines. Anybody get in them? You will never see one in here. And so we would get people to come up to receive prayer, and, and we, we, we preach about the double portion. But where do you got to preach that from? The old covenant. One time with Elisha and Elijah. So we go to the old covenant that was an inferior covenant with inferior promises. But now Hebrews said we have a better covenant with better promises. And, 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 and the old covenant 
showed us the power of sin, but the new covenant shows us the power of the grace of God in our lives. And so, we, you know, we, we have folk thinking that they, they, they don't have everything. We, we get them together and say, all right, now y'all come down and let's, let's draw near to God. God told us now we're just to draw near to him. And if we'll draw near to him, what did he tell us he would do? He would draw near to us if we would draw near to him. But that verse ain't got nothing to do with the believer. That verse says, in that verse it says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. See, if you believe that God is far away, See, God may feel far away, but your feelings are deceptive. My feelings are deceptive. You don't go by feelings, you go by faith. You don't go by what you feel, you go by what you know. You know? So, so, so God's not ever near. I don't ever waste one second ever doubting that God's with me now. How can God not be with me when he placed me in Christ when I got born again? You say, well, you talk about that a lot because you need to hear it. I'm tired of hearing them prayers. Well, Brother Dale, I feel like the Lord's a million miles away. Well, you're feeling it wrong. You're taking up counseling time with me that I could be talking about something else because you don't believe the Word of God. You don't believe the Word of God. Paul said in Ephesians that we were far off from God. We were lost without hope in this world. We were, we were lost when we were sinners. We weren't near to God. But he says, but now you have been all been made near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you're not made near because you did something. You were made near because Jesus did something. He shed his blood, wiped away your sins, put you in his heart forever. You're never away from God, not for a moment. Don't ever believe that lie of the devil. I don't care how you feel. I feel like I'm me and my life. I don't know how you feel. You need to spit out the pacifier and learn to grow up. <laughs> you, ah, you need to get out of the bless your heart club. And get in the blessed by God club. Hallelujah. I better get back to the notes. <laughs> the heart of religion is a lie. It's a belief that we can actually make ourselves good. You can't make yourself good. Religion lies about God, the character of God, the nature of God. It says that God's angry with you. There was a time that God said, I was angry with you for a moment. That was under the old covenant. But God also promised in that old covenant that there's coming a new covenant. And when it comes, God says, as sure as the mountains are there and the earth stands, I swear to you, I will never be angry with you again. I will not remember your sins anymore. I will not keep a record of your sins. But that's what religion says. Religion says that, that God's keeping a record. I remember sitting under preachers that said, when I died and stood before God, that there would be a video played. Anybody ever heard that sermon? That there would be a video played of my sins. And the whole world would see what I did in secret and in private. That my sins would be broadcast on a video for all the world to see. What a liar. One preacher preached that. Another one thought, I ain't got nothing to preach. I'll preach what he preached. And then, we, and then here we go. God says, I will never remember your sins. But that's what religion does. Religion says God's keeping a record of your sins and of your wrong. And it, it says that he's really, don't look at him, you know, properly. He's your judge. He's going to judge you. No, no, he's your father. He's already judged sin through his son. And now he's my father. He's not my judge. I'm not saying that there won't be judgment for some, but not for me. I've received the penalty and price paid through the blood of his son, Jesus. Religion says keep the rules, do what you're told, and God might accept you. You know, you won't know to the end. You won't know if you, you know, made the grade or not. You just hope you'll make it. You used to ask people, you know, you, when you die, you know, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're going to heaven? You couldn't hardly get anybody to answer that in the affirmative. Well, I hope I will. This ain't a hope so salvation. First John chapter 5 says, Whereby I have written these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is eternal life, belief in the Son of God. Christ said, uh, following me is easy. When's the last time you heard that preached in church? Jesus said being a Christian is easy. He said religion is what makes it hard. 
You say it's hard to live for God. And when you hear a person say it's so hard to live for God, you're, you're listening to a person that is under law and under religion. Religion says that you'll never be right with God, not really, until you die and get to heaven. And then you ain't even sure you're going there because you don't know if you made the cut or not. You just pray God grades on a curve. It's ridiculous. It says that there's nothing really for you here now. Religion says it's all in the future. And that's why we used to always sing songs about by and by after a while over yonder. Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burden to bear. Jesus said that, that, that my burden is light here. He said, I'm so heavy burdened I can't go. You're under law. You're doing it to yourself. God's burden is light. If you're heavy burdened this morning, it's because you're hanging on to them. I said because you're hanging on to them. You, you're, you're the one that is holding on. See, it, it, it takes great faith to cast your care upon the Lord. Some folks don't trust God with their cares. They'll hang on to them. And even if they come to the altar, they'll just pile them down there, cry a little bit, get up and load them home, and carry the load haul right back to the house with them. And then they get on the phone and call everybody, y'all pray for me, I'm such a heavy burden. We should say, well, you need to quit believing a lie and believe the word of God. But you know what we do? Well, bless your heart, daughter, and I'll pray for you. I'm so sorry you're having to suffer like that because you're just such a, you, you don't believe the Bible. I said you don't believe the Bible. Religion says that everything's in the future. Don't ever forget that Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves. One on his right, one on his left. And when those thieves spoke, one of those thieves couldn't think about nothing but his past. He could not even believe that he could be forgiven. And he was actually being forgiven as that blood dropped at that moment. The other thief could only think about the future. When you, when you, when you come into your, when. And those are the two thieves of religion. It puts everything great that God did either in the past or in the future. But it don't offer you a whole lot now. But just hang on, Snoopy, hang on, really all you got. That's, the, that's such a lie of religion. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. That's eternal life. And to have it more abundantly. Life to the full measure now. God gives you life. And, and let me tell you something. You're right with God now if you've received his son. You're right with God. You don't have to wait to heaven to be right with God. Because if you're not right with now with God, you ain't going to heaven. <laughs> if, listen, if the blood of Jesus that you put your faith in don't make you right, what will you, would, what will you do that will make yourself right? If the blood of Jesus didn't make you 100% right with God... What act will you perform? What sacrifice will you offer that will make you right with God? It says that religion says that you're just a sinner saved by grace. You're just still a sinner. When the Bible actually says that you're no longer a sinner, but you're a saint. Religion says that, it, that your forgiveness is not really now except that it depends upon your confession of each and every sin that you commit. And if you forget to confess one of those sins, then you're not forgiven, and you won't go to heaven. What a bondage to believe such a damnable lie. Religion says that you're far away from God, and I've already said his blood has made you near. Religion says that you need to try to become righteous and acceptable in God's sight. But the Bible says you are righteous and that, I, that his righteousness has been given to us as a free gift. The gift of righteousness is what the Bible says. Religion says work hard. Work hard. God may accept you. But the truth is that Christ is your acceptance for God. This is what religion says. Well, if you don't do this and if you don't do that and if you don't do the other, the sins, and if you do this, and if you do that, then God will be pleased with you. And you'd have those fleeting seconds, minutes, moments, maybe even hours that you felt like you actually pleased God. When the Bible actually says that there's one thing that pleases God, and that's faith in his son. And without faith in his son, it is impossible to please God. But if you put your faith in his son then God's pleased with you. And, and I'm telling you, I still get that. Now, I love you, but I still get it in my office. I just want to please the Lord, Brother Dale. I just want to please the Lord. So you're trying to do something to please him. What are you going to do to please God? 
What act could you perform? What prayer could you pray? What noble, benevolent deed could you do that would please the God? There's nothing you can do. And I, my answer always is the same to people that say that. And I'm, I don't mean to be uh, 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 harsh with people or anything, but I just ask them, I say, let me ask you a question. Is, let's, talk, let's, talk, let's get our eyes off of you for a moment. That's the problem. Let's get our eyes off of yourself for a moment. Stop navel-gazing. And turn our eyes to Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Is God pleased with Jesus? Immediately you'll get a yes. Yes, he's pleased with Jesus. I say, well, he's pleased with you because you're in Christ. How can he not be pleased with you? The Bible says whoever is born again has been made one spirit with the Lord. So you're actually saying that, that you're some kind of filthy, unrighteous, you know, wicked person, and yet you've been joined in, and made one spirit with the Holy Son of God. You think God does that? This ain't a duplex, baby. You're both in the same house. You're, in, you're the temple of the Lord. Come on now. The God that Jesus revealed to us is not that God that religion portrays to us. Uh, he, he, he doesn't love you because you and I have done good. He loves us because he is good. He, he loves us because he is love. He can't help himself. He can't help but love us. He loved us before the foundation of the world. He loved us while we were still yet sinners. Christ demonstrated, didn't just say I love you. He said I, I will give my life to show you that I love you. God didn't just love the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I like to get that so. I, I like my wife to not only say I love you, I, and I like to hear that so where I love you so much. I like the so in there. God, for God so loved. The world. He didn't just love it, he so loved it. And he loved the world that would sin and corruption and had rebelled against him, but yet he so loved the world. People talk about God, well, you know, God's so holy, God can't look upon sin. Where'd you get that from? To say God is scared to look at sin and God can't look. And that's where you end up with all that stuff. Pardon me, that's going to tear up your little, your, your sacred cow. God turned his back on his son on the cross. There ain't no way God could turn his back. Only son, because the Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the sin of the world through Jesus. How do you turn your back on yourself? What kind of father would that be to forsake his son when he needed his father the most? Would you forsake your son when he needed you the most? Neither that would God, but that's what religion portrays. Well, God can't look upon sin. Are you kidding me? Did Adam and Eve sin in the garden? I'm asking the question, did Adam and Eve sin in the garden? I guess God never came back to earth then, did he? Because you know he can't look upon sin. So God just did like this and never came back. Is that how the story goes? Did they sin? Did God still show up on time? And not only who was hiding, God was hiding or were they hiding? They were hiding. God came looking for them. That's the story of the Bible. God ain't scared of your sin. Man, I'm about to preach now. God ain't scared of your sin. God ain't Superman and your sin ain't kryptonite, baby. <laughs> to say God is afraid of sin is to say a farmer that's got cows is afraid of poop. <laughs> that farmer that's got cows knows what's coming out the other end. Oh, God, they're pooped. God knows you're, you're going to sin. God knew those things. God, God, God understands, but we're but weak flesh. God's not afraid of that. God waded through hell and sin and the grave and everything else to get to you, to save you, to rescue you, to deliver us. God ain't afraid of your sin. Stop being proud of your sin. Well, you don't know what I've done. It don't matter what you've done. That's pride and arrogance. I've had people in the altar, you know, and, and, and I, would you receive the forgiveness that God uh, you know, put on the cross? You don't know what I've done, Brother Dale. I don't care. You're just proud of your sin. You ain't, you ain't nothing. I know people better sinners than you. How many people you murdered? Paul murdered a bunch of folk. God saved him. Moses was a murderer. God saved him. David was a murderer, an adulterer, and a liar, but God saved him. Don't stand around and act like God can't forgive you. Jesus said that he took away the sin of the world, not yours only, but the sin of the whole world. He was the propitiation. He was the appeasing sacrifice for the sin of the world. He took it all away, including mine and including yours. 
This is exactly what religion does, and that's how religion puts people under bondage because uh, the, the gospel of grace is, 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 you know, in other words, religion loads you down with burdens. Heavy laden, Jesus said, heavy loaded down. Religion loads you down with burden, but grace actually removes burdens. The mixed message, which most of us grew up under. In other words, where we mix law and grace, which Jesus said you cannot do. And this is, listen to this. Jesus plus something. This is why Paul was so ferocious on the Galatian church. Because they got born by the Spirit, but now through efforts of the flesh, like circumcision and those other things, they were trying to now felt like that they needed to do these other things. And so they would no longer say that salvation is faith alone. They would say salvation is faith plus circumcision plus don't eating shrimp and lobster and don't do anything on the Sabbath day. And before long, they had people laden down with these burdens that they themselves could not even bear up under. This is why people walk out of churches and, and, and quit and can't, can't do it. They, uh, they say, you know, Jesus plus something else equals everything but the grace message says jesus plus nothing equals everything big big difference and so that bondage that religion puts for us to perform is the thing that makes it such a horrible thing and that's why people burn out it says that jesus said are you burned out are you are you tired are you worn out uh, with religion and, and and we get focused on ourselves and, and trying to uh, appease this god by some act or sacrifice or something that we would do and it's absolutely it's just absolutely ridiculous what, what religion don't factor in is you know religion says you need to do something to become something but grace says i'm already something because i put my trust in jesus and he made me something uh, understanding grace i'm telling you is absolutely essential to be delivered from a man-made merit system let me tell you about that kind of system. It bears no fruit. It bears no fruit. Uh, if you had an apple tree in your yard, you, you don't have to stand out there and, and, you know, and, and beg for apples. You don't have to stand out there and strain and go like, I command you to bring an apple. You don't have to do that. Now, it may take a while, but you just rest in it. Let the tree do its work. Let the tree do its work. The Bible says that when you're in Christ, you have the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance, self all those things, that's fruit of the Spirit. And in that same passage in Galatians, it does a, a paradox, a comparison of the works, works of, of the flesh. And so Jesus said this in John 3 and 6. He was talking to Nicodemus, but he made this amazing statement. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That that is born of the Spirit is spirit. Most of us miss the revelation in that. Jesus is literally saying nothing done by you and I through the flesh of human effort can produce anything of the Spirit. And religious people don't like to hear that. They do not like to hear that. There's examples of it throughout the Bible. Let's just start in the beginning. Cain and Abel. You ever heard of those guys? Those two people, listen to me, represent, there's really only one religion in the world. There's, see how simple this is? There's one religion. You go, well, that ain't what Google says. Well, Google's wrong. I'm right. Listen to me. There's one religion in the world, and Cain represents that one religion. And we're going to come under one world religion. We've been under one world religion from the beginning. And, and, and that is a religion of works and performance. And I don't care if you're in Muslim, Islam. I don't care if you're in, in, in Buddhism. I, I don't care what kind of religion that you want to compare it to. You listen to me. All of it is works and performance and merit-based. We're the only ones that have the message of grace. There's not a religion on the planet that even remotely comes close to what Jesus brought when he came full of grace and truth. And so what happens in there? You've got Cain and Abel, these brothers. 
And so Cain works the soil. Abel brings an offering to God. What does Abel bring God? He brings him the blood of an innocent animal. He brings what God had provided. Cain, uh, I mean, Abel didn't invent that animal, be it a sheep or an oxen or whatever it was. The Bible doesn't say. But he brought that animal, one of, one, of the, one of the flock of the herd, it says, probably a sheep. He brought that and offered that to God. He offered blood to God. And the Bible says that God, in one translation, he gave supernatural witness and acceptance of Abel's sacrifice. He accepted it. And so then Cain comes, and, and Cain brings vegetables. He brings things. In other words, listen to me. Cain brought God the best that his hands could produce out of the ground. See, God don't want your best because your best is filthy rags. Your righteousness and mine is filthy rags. God, listen, 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 don't miss this statement. God only accepts what God has provided. If God has not provided it, God will not accept it. God provides to you. You turn around and offer it to God, God accepts it. When you work for it, when you sweat for it, when you labor for it, and you offer your best to God, he will reject it every time. Because that's religion. And it's works-based. And not only would he offer what his hands produced, but he produced it from a cursed ground. You hear people say, God cursed man. God never has cursed man. God will not, to curse man would be to curse himself. God, God, God hadn't cursed man. I told you this, this man one time, he, he come, you know, trying to, he, he asked an ingenuous question to Jesus. He said, he said uh, uh, good master, teacher, rabbi, tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And he thought he had him, you know. He said, Jesus said, anybody got a coin? Somebody flipped him a coin and he held the coin up. And then he turned it to him and he said, whose image and inscription is upon this coin? They said, Caesar's. Jesus replied, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And unto God that which is God's. And the Bible said that man turned and walked away. That's why I know it was not a genuine question seeking knowledge. It was a setup, a frame up. Because if it had been a genuine, sincere question to Jesus, then that man would have no doubt asked a follow-up question. He would have said, render unto Caesar what Caesar's unto God, what's God? What is God's? He would have said, what is God's? Jesus would have replied, look at you. Whose image and inscription is upon you? For you were created in the image and in the likeness of God. So render unto God that that belongs to God. For you belong to the Lord. You were made in His image, made in His likeness. God would never curse you. In fact, Jesus came and became a man to remove the curse of the law of sin and death. And He became a curse for us. So he was cursed so I could be blessed. He was locked up in chains so I could be set free. He was uh, maligned and punished for sin so that I could be declared free from the penalty of sin. So what does religion do? When Cain saw that his sacrifice was rejected, then he, with, 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 with murderous Jealousy turned to his brother and he murdered him. First murder in the world was a religious murder. Brothers been killing brothers ever since. And most all murders have a religious root. You bring somebody's religion into question and watch what kind of reaction you get. The meanest attacks I've ever received have been from religious people. Buddy, they'll cut you up like nothing else. They'll hurt you. Cain murdered Abel. 
So listen to me. What's the lesson here? Those represents the two things. You have Abel, grace. You have Cain, religion. There's only one religion. And every religion of the world finds its root in that murderous spirit of Cain. And, and so, so, so what happens? When you think Islam, they're murdering people right and left. That's what religion calls. Listen, listen, listen. Religion will make murderers. Grace will make martyrs. Abel was a martyr. Cain was a murderer. What about a man named Saul who we know now as Paul? Was he not made a murderer by religion? He wasn't some desperate guy that just wanted to kill people to get kicks. It was religion that made him a murderer. All throughout the Bible, we, we see this. And, and so Abraham is another example. God only accepts, listen, what he provides. Abraham was promised a son by God's supernatural power. And, and he believed God at the time. But as time went along, you ever heard of the thing, meantime, in the meantime? You don't think time is mean, just look in the mirror. I'm sorry. I got one too, I know. Listen to me. Listen to me. When I say meantime, I'm talking about it's hard to wait on things sometimes. It's hard. It's, time can be mean because we wait and we wait and we wait for what's been prophesied and promised and we believe for, and yet we don't obtain it and see it. That's mean. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll think God is mean. Why don't you go on and do it? You could have done this. Why, what are we waiting for? And so Abram, who becomes Abraham, waited 25 years before the promise manifested. Anybody out here besides me waiting on some things that's been prophesied to you, promised to you, that you've believed for, and yet you haven't seen them? And if we're not careful, we'll stop praying and believing for those things. I told you, you remember that, that Abraham it was promised that God's going to bring a seed from you. And it didn't happen. So what do we do? They, they started questioning this. Abraham and Sarah did this grace by faith alone concept. They started doubting. And uh, so they said, we've got to help God out here. So what happens is Abraham, at the urging of his wife Sarah, marries an Egyptian bondwoman named Hagar. And, and he raises up a son. Listen to me, Ishmael, a child of the flesh. And, uh, but God never accepted that because Abraham and Sarah, in other words, they did that through their own effort, human effort. Now listen, it's, isn't it unique that God, when God had told, remember later on when Isaac is finally born, praise God, his name means laughter, and then God does this unprecedented thing. He tells him to go up on Mount Moriah and offer him his, his son. It's a sacrifice, but listen to me. This is in Genesis 22 and 2, but this is what God tells him. He says, take your, your son whom you love, but this is what he says. Listen, your only son. God never recognized Ishmael as Abraham's son. Sorry, Islam. God never recognized that. He only recognized and receives what he himself has provided. God, through his supernatural power, with a man that the Bible says whose body in Romans 4 was good as dead, being 100 years old, and Sarah, whose womb was dead, yet God brought forth life and a son of promise called Isaac. And through that promised seed, the Messiah would come. Are you with me? And that same young boy, Isaac, on that Mount Moriah, would say these famous words. He said, Father... Father, I, I see, the, sacri I see the, the fire, and I see the knife, and I see the altar, but where is the lamb? And what did Abraham say? God himself shall provide the lamb. God will only receive what he himself has provided. And God said that I will provide myself as the lamb, that I will offer my own life on the cross, and I will, I will reconcile through that sacrifice the sin of the entire world. In Hebrews 10, 1 and 4, it says, For the law having a shadow. Everybody say shadow. How many wants to go today after I preach and eat a shadow of a chicken? How about having some shadow 
of mashed potatoes. And go ahead while you're at it and have some shatter of some peas. And you're going to be one skinny person. But while you eating the shatter, I'm going to have real chicken, real mashed potatoes, and real butter beans and peas. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not going to deal with no shatter. The law was a shadow. It wasn't the real. It was a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of those things. Because it said, can never with those sacrifices. You understand that there was no doubt that they offered thousands upon thousands of sacrificed animals to God. As the law commanded. Listen, but yet none of those sacrifices ever paid the penalty for sin. It simply covered sin or atoned for it. But it didn't remove it. And, and this is what it says here. It says, they can never with those same sacrifices which they offer how often? Continually, year by year. Do you understand? Listen to me. Do you understand in the old covenant that a man would take his lamb and offer it to the to the priest for sacrifice, and then that man would be declared forgiven for one year, and that man in the old covenant would turn around, go home, and live with peace for a year, knowing his sins in the future, by the way, were all forgiven. People will fight you all up and down the road today and tell me, God don't forgive a future sins. He forgave future sins in the old covenant, taterhead. You need to learn the Bible before you go to try to argue with somebody. He says that they, that they were reminded year by year. We get reminded in most churches in America every Sunday. And we're made sin conscious instead of Christ conscious. And then besides that, most humans get reminded every day by the devil and we stay focused on our sin instead of our savior you're making little of sin no i'm making much of jesus but your problem is not your sin your problem is your faith and belief is in the wrong thing you got more faith in the power of sin than you do in the power of the blood of jesus you got more faith in your ability to to block god than you do in jesus ability to set you free you got a too big a sin devil and too little of an almighty god I said he's almighty. That means if he's almighty, there ain't none left. <laughs> oh, same sacrifices they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. Do you understand that Jesus' standard for you is perfect? And if you're not perfect, that you ain't going to heaven? You feel that, Ben? That was powerful silence. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Must I remind you that in his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, that Jesus said, be ye perfect. What is God's standard to make it to heaven? Perfection. Perfection. I told you I've asked Christians for, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being perfect, 1 being, you know, not perfect, what do you think you, you know, hit there with God? I've never had nobody give me a number more than a 5. Here goes a 10 right here. But if you believe you're a four, what are you going to do to give yourself six more points? What kind of offering check are you going to write? What kind of benevolent deed are you going to do? The Bible says even if you offered your very last blood, it could not make you right with God. Why don't you just stop all that silliness and put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ? Put your faith in the finished work of Calvary and what Jesus accomplished for you and for me on the cross. And trust in that, that his blood, well, I don't, I'm not behaving perfect. You're not declared perfect by your behavior. You're declared perfect because there was a perfect sacrifice offered for you. The sacrifice was perfect, and that's what makes you perfect because you put your faith in a perfect, sinless, spotless, holy sacrifice. We know we're not perfect. But in your spirit man, in that part of you that got born again, that spirit is perfect. That spirit is righteous. That spirit is holy. You don't grow in holiness. Bible says you were created in true holiness and righteousness. Read the New Testament. You were created that way. When? When you were born again. So if you learn to live out of your spirit man, if you live in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
For as many as that walk in the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. He said that, verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered if it worked. But they offered them year after year. For the worshipers, once purified. How many times purified? If they were once purified, would have now no more consciousness of sin. So in other words, the proof that the sacrifice worked is you lose consciousness of sin. Sin does not become your focus. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices there's a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. But when John the Baptist pointed his finger at the Messiah and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I just got a question for you. Did he accomplish what, he, what John said he would do? Did he take away the sin of the world? Well, that had to include yours in it. I know you've been raised on God. Don't forgive your future sins. But how many of your sins were future 2,000 years ago? And there's people dumb enough to write arguments against what I just said. Some of them have big churches, but they got little brains when it comes to grace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 22 and 23, In the last days many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, not in the name of a devil, but in thy name. And in thy name we've cast out devils, and in thy name we've done many wonderful what? Works, the King James says. We've done many wonderful works. Is God going to accept wonderful works that we've done? And he said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity or worker. Jesus called them workers of lawlessness. Now listen to me. Even though they did the works, listen, that Jesus said the church would do, but their works were rejected, even though they did them in the name of Jesus. Boy, that's something to think about. Because they thought that they would be accepted by God based on their works for him instead of his works for them. See, if you're accepted by your works for him, then Jesus did not have to come and die. We just needed you to do your works. But when you actually do that and say, I'm working for the Lord and therefore I'm pleasing to him, or God likes me more now because I do this or I do that, then you're actually nullifying, trampling the blood of Jesus' sacrifice, and you're counting it an unholy, impotent thing. And so we, 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 we don't understand that the Bible says in Romans 10 and 4 that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law. He's the end of it. I want you to know that the sacrifice that God gave through his son Jesus was more than enough. I've, I've made this statement, and I close with this, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, I believe, was an overpayment for sin. I don't believe that it barely made the mark of paying for the penalty of sin. I, believe, I actually believe it was an overpayment of sin. Based upon what? I'm glad you asked. In the Old Covenant, they would do a sin offering, sin sacrifice. It's too long to go into all the details. But they would divide the animal up and separate certain parts and so forth. But they would, they would burn that sacrifice on the fiery altar. Is that right? And that fire would consume it and turn it into ashes. And it would, it would just remove the sacrifice, and there would be nothing left. But when Jesus Christ became sin, him who knew no sin, had no acquaintance with sin, but yet he became sin so that we could become the righteous of God. But when Jesus was, was on the cross and he bore the full wrath of God on the cross, yet when he said, it is finished and the debt was paid, he was still hanging there. I don't know if you're getting that. But his body was still there. He wasn't itemized and turned into ashes. He was still hanging there. They had enough to pull him off and bury he was an overpayment for sin. He far exceeded with his holy, sinless, perfect, spotless blood the cost and the penalty of the sin of the world. He was the lamb that God himself provided. And now God will only accept what he himself has provided. If you try to offer him religion, he will reject it. 
If you try to offer him religious works that you've done in the church in his name as your appeasing sacrifice, he will reject it. There's only one thing you can offer him, and that is what he himself has provided, and that is himself. For Jesus was God, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it is the truth in that that sets men free from all the effects and the ravages of sin. You're still capable, and I'm still capable. You can make a decision to sin. But you're not bound by sin anymore because you're no longer under sin, but you're under grace. You have to decide. As I stand here and I point to my right over next door on the property, is the Lowndes County Civic Center. I've been there numerous times. They have a roof there, just like we have a roof. And I've gone over there to 4-H things and different things, and I've been under that roof. And now I'm here, and I'm under this roof. But you can't, I can't be under this roof and that roof at the same time. You can't be under law and under grace at the same time. You, you can't be under both at the same time. You have to choose what you're going to believe. And if you choose law, rules, regulations, then keep in mind that there's a lot more than Ten Commandments. There's 613 to be exact. And the Bible says that cursed is the man that continueth not in the law. In other words, if you've set out to keep the rules, then if you, if you break one of them, you're guilty of how many? Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't destroy it. He, Jesus kept every one of those 613 commandments, and he never violated one of them. Can you believe that? He did. He never violated any commandment. He kept them all. He violated sometimes the Pharisees' interpretation of the commandments. Jesus was shocking. Grace is defiant. It is awesome. Jesus did not, though his coming fulfilled many prophecies, but his... Performance fulfilled none of their expectations of what the Messiah would do and be. Nobody thought that his first miracle would be supplying 150 gallons of the best wine a man has ever tasted for a wedding party. That was his first chosen miracle. He blew people's minds in what he did and whom he accepted and whom he welcomed. And the most famous of all sinners he delivered the most scandalous forgiveness and grace to them. And he had the most chiding denunciations for the religious crowd of the Pharisees who were rule keepers. He blew people's mind in how he administered the grace of God. He was grace in the flesh. He loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. He forgave people who never asked for forgiveness. He would just look at them and say, your sins are forgiven. They'd never even uttered a word, yet he had forgiven them. Whether you ever utter a word, you are forgiven. You don't enjoy the benefit of it until you put your faith in him. You remember that woman with the issue of blood? It's Mother's Day. i got to end with a woman story. <clears throat> you remember the woman? We'll do this two minutes. You know the story, most of you. She suffered for 12 years. It's, she had an issue of blood. You understand what that, what that means? She had menstrual bleeding. Okay? There, there are things in our lives that are, are secular or cycles, and they're very normal. We go through cycles even in the body, men and women. But when cycles don't become cycles, they become issues, and they can take your life. And you can suffer because... What should have been a cycle now has become a lifelong 12-year, something now you're learning to cope with, to deal with. And it removes your intimacy with God and with others, and it, it causes so many problems. And you now finding yourself have to press into things that you used to run into. You used to run to the Bible, run to God, and run to church, but now you've, it's a press for you to come. It's a press to pray. It's a press to read the Word of God. And now... 
She comes, the Bible says, from behind him. Listen to me. This woman is a mosaic lawbreaker. She is breaking the law by leaving her premises. Under the mosaic law that if a woman is having that problem, she is not to leave her residence. Because anything she touches, either with her hand or with her body or any place that she sets or anything, she's not been allowed to go to temple or synagogue in 12 years. She's not known what it is to have the intimate relationship with her husband. She's been ostracized from the community and from the church. And for a Jewish woman, that is everything. She's lonely. She's suffered at the hands of many physicians. And she's none better, but she only has gotten worse. And now she makes up her mind because she heard. It says when she had heard. The reason people don't do something because they haven't heard the grace of God. we got to tell them the grace. Well, they got to hear it. they got to hear about how good Jesus is. And so when she, it says when she heard of Jesus, she said within herself, I know. But if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. you got to save what you believe before you see it. Listen to me. There is no Bible reference or evidence for any kind of thing like that, touching cloth and getting made well. Listen to me. Listen to this statement. Sometimes the, our journey with God is, is it's in, it's, it's in the, um, I, I want to say it like this, it's in the experiment. It's just what God's after is the faith, not the not the not two plus two. She just said, I, I know. And so she came from behind. Why? So she didn't want to be seen. Because she's a lawbreaker. And she touched his garment in the press, multitudes thronging, and, and Jesus felt virtue go out of him. And Jesus wasn't faking, he didn't know who touched him. But he stopped. Who touched me? Nobody answered. Nobody came forward. Jesus refuses to move. And I love this phrase of Jesus. Jesus. It says, Jesus turned around to see who touched him. Oh, this was a different touch than the multitudes. This was a touch of faith. This was a touch in his belief in his goodness. And so finally, when nobody owned up that they had touched him with fear and trembling, the Bible says she came and falls down before Jesus, and she tells him all the truth, it said. She said, it was me. Why was she so fearful? Listen, listen. Because she thought, like so many in the church, that he would take her by the law. That he would judge her by the Mosaic law. And that he would be cruel with her and he would rebuke her publicly. And, and, and he would be harsh with her. She thought he would deal with her based on law. And therefore she was afraid to tell him. But Jesus says, Daughter, oh, what words. Daughter, you're not just some abstract woman. You're my daughter. You're my daughter. You're my daughter. Every woman in here, you're God's daughter. Husbands, if you want to have favor with the king, treat his daughter well. Treat his daughter well. Honor her. Love her. Cherish her. Because she's the daughter of the king. And he says, daughter, don't you be afraid. Thy faith, your little small amount of faith you put in me, that made you well. Go. Go and enjoy your life. Go and be free. She was amazed because what happened? Grace was released. Not law. Grace. Grace. I wonder how many resist coming to church, coming to Jesus, because they fear that they will be judged by the law. They will be taken to task by the law. That they will be told what rotten sinners they are and what worms and what grubs they are. And their only hope of pleasing God is by their performance. I wonder how many chairs are empty in here today because of those people who fear the law. You don't have to fear it. But Jesus fulfilled it. And I find it amazing. Jesus kept 613 Regulation of the law to the letter. In the garden, how many sins did Adam commit? I'm waiting. Y'all making it longer than it's supposed to be. I said, how many sins did Adam commit? How many transgressions did he do? Just one? Really? So just one transgression plummeted the world into sin and death and bondage. Is that right? That's true. One. So Adam did one thing wrong, and it plummeted us into sin. 
And Jesus, the last Adam, comes along and does 613 things right and delivers us from the bondage of religion and performance and merit-based relationship. And God forgave us because he loves us. He loves everybody in here. He loves you. Daughters, he loves you. Sons, he loves you. You receive it, just believe on him. Put your faith in him, trust in him. Amen? Would you stand with me? I know it's Mother's Day. I always feel the pressure. Hurry up, preacher. I got to take mama and get her something to eat. Ministry team, my elders, would you come, please? Man, we want to give you an opportunity for prayer if you want it, if you desire prayer. We don't try to wrangle, you know, that. I mean, we don't judge it by that. We just preach the word to you and love you. But we also are here to serve you, and we do care about you. And we'll pray with you about anything that's a concern of yours. The greatest thing that I could think that you could do is right where you stand, you put your faith in Jesus today. You trust that he, through his sacrifice, has forgiven you of all sin even the ones you had not done yet, and that you have been made righteous and perfect and holy, acceptable in his sight, joined together in spirit with his son, and that you have been given the gift of eternal life, not eternal slash temporary life based on what you do, but eternal life is really eternal, and you can walk into peace of that. But if you want prayer, I'm going to dismiss this church. Go enjoy this wonderful day. Thank God for the rain yesterday. Wonderful. I just sat on my back porch and just let it splash on me and praised him while it was coming down. Thank God for the rain. Such a blessing. Such a blessing. Such a good father. But if you want prayer and you want us to pray with you before you leave the campus, it'd be an honor to do so. If not, you're dismissed. We love you. Go enjoy this day. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. If you want prayer, please come this way.